0: Hey everyone, welcome to This Is Not A Podcast. My name is Bobby Hundreds and I swore I would never make a podcast. As the co-founder of The Hundreds, a men's streetwear brand that's been selling worldwide for over 16 years, I figured, is there anything left for me to say? But here we are. After publishing my first memoir and reflecting on my own experiences of building a business, my personal and financial struggles and successes, I realized there was more to talk about Maybe not just from my perspective. The best part is, I still get to say, I don't have a podcast. This is just a curious audio thing where you get to meet cool, interesting people. You're listening to This Is Not A Podcast. In chapter 28 of my book, Sometimes It Takes Some Time, I address the long and arduous journeys that constitute the life of a brand. Although punctuated by big and occasional wins, my partner Ben and I have built the hundreds legacy on the back of incremental tweaks and fixes over years-long droughts. So much of business is about holding your breath underwater and waiting, working but waiting, passion balanced with patience. I can't think of someone who better exemplifies this discipline than Keenan Thompson. Every generation loves Keenan for their own cultural touchpoint. Perhaps it was his role in the Mighty Ducks sequels, you may remember Keenan for playing Fat Albert or welcoming you to Good Burger with Kel. For a majority of young people today, it was Keenan's involvement in Nickelodeon's 90s sketch comedy, All That. And for the rest of the population, Keenan is renowned as the longest tenured cast member on Saturday Night Live. Yet with all that success and work out in the universe, Keenan also watched for years as fellow SNL castmates branched outwards and onwards in their career, with other TV and film projects.
1: It's like I've been waiting outside the club and being told like there's too many people inside the club wait for five people to come out and I've watched 2,000 people come out the club and I'm still waiting at the rope. And then they open the rope finally and I get to go inside.
0: He kept his nose to the grindstone and all that diligence and fortitude paid off as Keenan Thompson is now looking at two new primetime television projects this year. NBC's Bring the Funny and The Keenan Show on top of executive producing the revival of all that at 41 years old it seems to all be happening at once for keenan but when you look back at his diligence and perseverance throughout the course of a long and storied career it only makes sense every time the pendulum returns it swings heavier and strikes louder i'm so happy to witness the third or fourth or 11th coming of keenan thompson January 2019, Kenan discovered Instagram.com. What <laughs> What makes you decide to jump in after? Well, were, speaking
1: of books, yeah, I wanted to do a book. Like people were trying to talk me into doing a book, and we took it around to a bunch of publication companies, but the offers were like way low, in my opinion. And then I was talking to my people, and I'm like, I wonder if those offers are low because they're trying to judge my social or whatever. So then I just, I got into it because it was just like an unavoidable credit rating these days.
0: Yeah. I remember when I was first figuring out my book and I didn't have an agent yet. And my friend said, talk to my agent because she had a good agent and he's great. But the first thing he said when we got on the phone was how many followers do you have?
1: You know what I mean? And that's not cool, but at the same time it's the times. So. Right, either adapt or get rolled over, and I'm not gonna get rolled over.
0: Why did you abstain from social media up until that point?
1: I just like my privacy. You know what I'm saying? I don't like being bothered every day by shit that I'm not overly interested in. Like I like to give out performance as opposed to receiving a whole lot, and I have to be more picky and choosy about what comes into my subconscious. You know what I'm saying? So,
0: but up until that point, like you weren't even checking it. Like you don't follow. You're not on Twitter. I didn't know how to.
1: You know what I mean? I didn't know how to sign on Twitter because I just never bothered how to learn. You're like a
0: science experiment.
1: Kind of. Yeah, a little bit. Like I missed the MySpace era, so I was just like, I don't need social media, you know what I'm saying, in my opinion, in my old ass mind. Can we talk about
0: your upbringing and where you grew up and um, what it was like growing up in
1: your household? Yeah, humble beginnings, but I mean, I'm from Atlanta, grew up in College Park, like where the airport is. I learned how to swim in that swimming pool from the ATL movie, because they were shooting in our neighborhood. And that always feels good whenever I watch that movie. I'm like, man, they don't even know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was seven years old peeing in that pool. <laughs> but, I mean, College Park made me kind of who who I am as far as, like, repping is concerned, especially when OutKast came out, because then, like, Atlanta had an identity, finally. Interesting, yeah. You know, to, yeah
0: So at what point did you think or realize, I want to enter entertainment or I want to be an entertainer?
1: Pretty early. I mean, I was attracted to TV from a young age. My parents are from small town Virginia. Mm -hmm. So my grandmother's house was no AC, one bedroom, you know what I mean? But she had cable and it was black and white, but, you know, it was my time with her. We would sit and watch TV together, you know, as the world turns and fucking prices (laughs) right Yeah, It just was, you know, things that would keep me company during the summer times when we would go visit her because there was nothing to do. You know what I'm saying? It was super hot. You didn't want to run around the house too much because then you get overly hot. So sitting still was like, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, I just, I loved it. And then, yeah, like I said, once Cable came out, we saw movies over and over and over and over and over again. You know what I mean? And I, I, I'm i still like that to this day. I watch what I like to watch over and over, and over again. Which movies? I mean, Groundhog Day is my favorite. You that's your saying.
0: favorite movie of all time?
1: Yeah. I like repetition. Whoa. <laughs> and I feel like it's a, like I say, almost a perfect movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. I It's my favorite that's like not the, you know, obvious top tens. You know what I mean? Like, of course, like The Cowfather and Scarface and,
0: you know, Staying Fool,
1: you know what I mean? Coming to America and all of that. Like, those are the givens. You know what I'm saying? But as yeah. far as like, Quirky TNT Saturday afternoon type shit that pops up ground all day, all day long.
0: Um, and then, can you talk about the actual entrance into entertainment? Like, how do you how does someone go about doing that? I mean, for you, it happened at a very young age. But yeah, you I mean, I went to like
1: or? Christian school, and they had a you know an auditorium basically, and we did like a play in kindergarten. It was like the Gingerbread Man, <laughs> but one of my mother's friends told her that I should get into acting classes. I started going and they teach you how to audition and shit. And I just started auditioning. So I got on a show called Real News for Kids. You know, I auditioned for that. And I was like the movie critic. And the first movie I critiqued was Mighty Ducks 1. And I got go. to audition for the second one. Oh, that's how you ended up in D2. Not necessarily, but it's kismet that it was like, you know, Interesting. that connection like that. Yeah.
0: That was your first big break was D2?
1: Yeah, that was my first like real job. Once, you know, ducks happened and they introduced me to Nickelodeon, that was kind of that up until I left Nickelodeon.
0: And t- what happened in your life? Like, did it, dr- did it drastically change
1: or? No, it was a slow change. The most drastic thing was when I had a bad accountant, you know what I mean? And I had done all this Nickelodeon work and then it all went to the wind. So no. I had to kind of like start over. Yeah. God is good, man. I was able to like work through all of that. And I'm yeah. beyond that. So
0: it's a really common story. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. Mm-hmm. It happens more often than not. And yeah. what do you have to look out for? Like, what did you learn from that?
1: I mean, pay attention to your own shit is the main lesson. Like, I had heard that lesson back then, you know what I mean? But it wasn't like I ever thought that I was even making that amount of money for somebody to be enticed like that. You know what I mean? It wasn't that, like, it was millions and millions of dollars. It might have been one total. And out of that, you got to pay taxes and blah, blah, blah. So it was like maybe 300 grand we're talking about, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it still was not in my pockets, it was in somebody else's.
0: Yeah. So you had gone through Nickelodeon and all that and keenan Callum, and Burger. And, and then there came a point in time where you're not growing up. You're not a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of entertainers, especially child entertainers, they get stuck in that. Stereotype or that classification. Yeah. And you
1: somehow transcended that. I mean, SNL was that bridge, you know what I mean? But until I got there, I was stuck in it for sure. Yeah. For years and years and years. And like, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like sitcoms, you know, when you become a beloved, like even the friends people, it's hard for a lot of the friends people to like shake out of their beloved characters because people just want to sit where they want to sit and
0: be comfortable
1: where they're comfortable, basically. Yeah. And you can't be mad at that but it's a it's an unfortunate part of the business when you can have such success but then it kind of becomes such a burden mm-hmm. to you later on
0: yeah yeah i talk a lot about that in the book of you know we had a lot of rapid success you know we drew that cartoon bomb the atom bomb yeah and it ended up eclipsing everything else we did mm-hmm. to the point where no one really wanted anything else from us and mm-hmm. Even though we did our best to temper how much we were putting that into, onto the marketplace and concentrating on other products that we we're making. Mm-hmm. And it's been like 10 years, like 15 years later, and still people are like, Oh, the hundreds! You do the bomb, right? Like the can I get the bomb? You can know, I get the bomb like, stuff. Get the yeah. bomb stuff, yeah, it's and rough. then yeah, <laughs> and like it's funny when you were starting out, it's all you ever want is to just be known for something. Well, now
1: I feel bad for putting the bomb head on and taking that picture. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all.
0: That I, this is the lesson I'm trying to get to: is that I wrestled with that for so long Yeah. of like hating this character, or hating what people wanted out of me because I was just like. I'm more nuanced than that. I'm It deeper wasn't than allowing that. growth. And it wasn't know. allowing
1: me to grow. No, a creative person has to grow.
0: Right. But then I think for me true happiness happened in my work and job when I realized you know what that bomb, that bomb it brings a lot of fulfillment and happiness to other people
1: it's and like it's something that I own. Yeah. The spotlight is a is a scary thing, man. Like you want I think what we all want more than anything, if you don't have it, is just success. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I was trying to say when this Fat Albert like headline came out to where it made it seem like I didn't want to play the role. But what I was really saying was I didn't know if I wanted people running up to me calling me fat for the next 10 years, 15 years, or whatever. And then in my reality, having like, you know, body image consciousness or whatever but yeah moral of the story you to be stories, like very careful
0: be careful what you wish for because we all want very careful to be successful and known for something we do but that thing can also become the thing that it's defines your entire thorn, existence yeah, yeah, you know yeah. and people may not consider you for anything other than that
1: like imagine if thing. people only gave Elton John credit for the Lion King or some shit right you know I and mean? it's <laughs> like man I've done all kind of crazy good songs <laughs> yeah but like like no Lion King mm-hmm. you're the Lion King can guy. you feel the love tonight is what you <laughs> want What you want to give me credit for? all
0: right. You are the longest person to have stayed consistently on SNL. Yeah. How old were you when you started? 25. And what what do you attribute to that, to you still being round?
1: I mean, I was, you know, versatility is critical, as you can see, like, you know, when you're trying to, like, spin out of a pigeonhole. Yeah. You know, it's good to be versatile. But also, like, I was, you know, I'm a good collaborator. I get along with people and I service, you know, other people's ideas in, you know, a way to where it's like, I don't have to be the star. Interesting. I just want to, you know, hit my part and hit my part hard, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone would assume that if you're in entertainment and you're going on SNL, you're not really there to be a team player. You're really there to be the star.
1: I mean, right? there's a lot of people think that when they get there because it's such a platform like this is your chance to like make a star out of yourself. You don't want to be in the background. But I had already been known by people. You know what I mean? I'd been working for so long that I felt like it was better to be, you know, part of the ensemble, in my opinion. And that mindset just kept You know, being an advantage as the cast would change over the years and years and years like the way people felt about working with me or putting me in their stuff never changed they always looked at it as a good thing because I would always deliver
0: Mm. I have to ask what's your favorite SNL cast whether you were with that cast or not
1: over like all the time sure shit man
0: I mean Uh, you know what I'm going to ask too I'm going to ask of all time and then if it happens to also be a cast that you were on, I also want to know what was the favorite cast that you got to work with? I don't know if that's... The of all time, thing. I would
1: say the Sandler-Farley years. Yeah. And Chris Rock years. Just because I was approaching middle school and I could get, you know, pretty much all the jokes. And that was like Phil Hartman's era, too. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that era, I feel like, was a favorite. I love Will Ferrell's era, too. Mm-hmm. The Eddie Murphy years... Like, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was great, mm-hmm. and Piscopo was great, and then Eddie Murphy was great. And, yeah. like, Martin Short was coming in and out. So, like, but those were years that I had to, like, look back on because I kind of wasn't allowed to watch at the time. Right. You know what I mean? But my favorite cast that I've ever been in, it's probably this current one because I've been with them for so long. You guys yeah. developed some really serious bonds, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, being in the trenches like that week after week. Even when you do something that you feel like is brilliant, that shit don't matter on Monday. You know what I mean? You got a new host and you got a new show to do. So you can pat yourself on the back for maybe half a day on Sunday because you half sleep for half of it. You know what I mean? Because we go so hard. But, yeah, I don't know. It's been an incredible experience. And I, I owe my entire bridge gap from childhood to adult entertainment to them, in my opinion. And I would never leave the show if I could. But time constraints you know will reveal my future i guess as things get more and more popular or as i start to become more and more wanted for things that you know don't necessarily coincide for that schedule because it's you know it's an eight-month schedule basically
0: along your the course of your career at snl were there opportunities that you were looking at that you wanted to do or was it always just i'm really Happy being here. I mean, don't don't get me wrong.
1: Like everybody wants to launch their career trajectory basically by going there. So that was definitely the goal: is to get my own show or get my own like movie track system going, where it's like a bunch of us, like an Apatow movement or some shit like that. Um, But you know, tried and failed. But now it's all you know pouring down at the same time. Like I got two shows coming on NBC and producing all that. So it's like, you know, divine timing is you know a real thing. I guess.
0: Talk about these uh, new shows they are working on, or can you?
1: I, I definitely can. God damn it, I'm producing all of them. They're mine. <laughs> um, uh, all that is great. They found seven you know, awesome new kids, and I was there shooting with them. Yesterday is that bizarre for you to see this entire generation? You feel old.
0: old. Like nothing feels older than seeing like younger versions of well that and like
1: the kids are talking to me and it seems like they're speaking like (laughs) Japanese or something (laughs) because they're like talking about things that I do know about but the way that they like condense it into young quick kid talk like (laughs) Like, what he was talking about Momo that like suicide faced oh yeah Bobo whatever it was. But I knew the face thing in the story, but you don't remember what it's called when you're an adult. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, oh, that thing that happened when they were trying to like be bad towards kids that are watching YouTube kids. That's how an adult process is. Like, Like a little kid is like, remember that thing you did with Bobo? And I was like, No, what are you talking? Oh, it took me like six minutes to like catch up to what he was saying. So yeah, I felt old as hell. But It also feels good. It's just different. They're in a different studio. You know what I mean? If they were still in our studio, it would feel super old. But it just feels, like, fresh. You know what I mean? Young and fresh. And, like, I'm not 12 years old anymore. Yeah. It's a real reminder of that.
0: But there's such goodwill around that brand in that show. Totally. Right? Like, it has such, like, a a seared impression, I feel like, in people's minds of their childhood. It really childhood.
1: Yeah. And they've all come back and embraced these new kids, which is kind of the ultimate And then my shows on NBC, is one is Bring the Funny, which is premiering July 9th. Tell us about Um, Bring the Funny. It's like Last Comic Standing, but it's all the forms of comedy, basically, going head to head. So it's not just stand-ups, it's like sketch troops, magicians, puppets, you know what I mean? And then we pit them all kind of against each other, and the winner gets, you know, 250 grand and like a chance to perform it Just for Laughs. And then my show, The Keenan Show, is going to be like a sitcom, basically, where I'm like a widowed father trying to make it work. With two girls.
0: And what was the premise of that? Where did that show come from? Why did you want to make a show like that?
1: Well, I've been pitching sitcoms, you know, kind of for the last five years or something like that. Just going around the production cycle because that's the ultimate goal, you know, for a comedian is to live that multicam sitcom three-day-a-week life. You know what I'm saying? And just balling out of control. but. It just all happens to be happening at the same time, like you know. It's not just rains, all happening accidentally, though, right? What well, is accidentally happening? I wouldn't say accidentally. It's just There's funny God that here. it's happening at the same time.
0: Yeah, but I feel like there, something's happening with you, right? <laughs> like. Over the last year Like we all feel it I don't know if it's it's because
1: I feel like it's as simple as The preparedness for opportunity You know Hmm. what I mean And like if you're prepared enough For all these opportunities Then you'll get them You know what I'm saying And that's kind of The situation I'm in Like they keep throwing things at me And I keep over delivering Like I hosted the NHL awards And like nobody thought I could do that Yeah But it was fun and it was great You know what I mean And that's gonna like open up Whatever lane that opens up You know what I'm saying So I don't know It's just, like, being ready for when that opportunity knocks, basically.
0: Were there years where you were frustrated or bummed because you weren't getting that opportunity,
1: Yeah, man. And years, years. Watching people blow up around me and, like, you know, being happy for them, but at the same time, like, you know, looking inward and being like, well, what am I doing wrong? Like, Mm -hmm. am I not funny? Like, are my ideas lame or whatever? So, yeah, it was a whole lot of, like, second-guessing a program and a system, or whatever, but still a lot of faith in destiny and God and my abilities and whatnot. But not being able to see, yeah, the, you know, the other side of the coin was very frustrating. Right.
0: I'm gonna tell you what I think it is from the outside. Okay, yeah, have it. Let's have it. I think you put in hard work. You're consistent about it, right? You 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 put in your due diligence. Like you've never really relented. I can't think of maybe there was, but I don't feel like there were gap years or there are periods where you were just dicking around. You were mm-hmm. always doing work, whether it was celebrated as the best work, you know, whether you received accolades for specific work. Not important. the the part The point is that you were actually continuing to work, looking for opportunities, seizing them, doing mm-hmm. what you could, and I think. When you do that for long enough, right, you build something in the culture and in our psychology mm-hmm. where people, you it's, like, it's almost like you enter this next level and people yeah. then look at you like, you know what, you stuck it out. We're going to give it to you now.
1: Yeah, but yeah, like you said, I mean, eventually it seems like a cultural thing where everybody takes notice of certain things, yeah. you know what I'm saying, and yeah, hopefully mine won't just be, you know, a moment in time. It'll be like, you know. I don't think it can be. whole thing.
0: I think you're so ingrained in our consciousness yeah. that we aren't ready to
1: let you go. in hopefully a good way, you know. Yeah. Like anybody that's overexposed for the same shit, it's annoying. So hopefully you know, I won't hit that wall for a while. Keenan, thank you. Yeah, man, you're most
0: welcome. How do we follow it's you? It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. I'm Keenan
1: Thompson across it all. You know what
0: I'm saying? Keenan Thompson, follow him now that he is yeah. engaging in social media. Now that I'm there. <laughs> all right. Amazing. That's it for this episode. I'm your host, Bobby Hundreds. Our show was produced by Andrew London and edited by Rachel Kastner and Ivana Tucker. Music by Alexander Spit. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.